Erev Tov, everyone. Welcome to another edition of our Wednesday night Parashat Shavua class where we peek into the parasha through the lens of Hasidut, studying the beautiful words again of Rav Elimelech Bitterman Shlita. Tonight we are studying Parashat Vayeshev, Vayeshev Yaakov. And also we'll speak a little bit of Hanukkah, which will begin tomorrow night, Bezrat Hashem. Parashat Vayeshev is known as the parashat of Yosef HaTzadik, for probably not good reasons. It is the parashat where he gets abandoned by his brothers, thrown into the pit, sold to Egypt, gets thrown in jail, and yet eventually he comes out. We know what happens after that in the upcoming parashiot. But I wonder if we can learn some lessons from Yosef in this week's parashat, and then we'll conclude with an idea and thought about Hanukkah as well. It's a natural desire of kings to be in the company of prestigious people, of wealthy individuals. They don't really enjoy being among poor and downtrodden people. Le'abdil, when it comes to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Melech Machia Melachim, he is the opposite. It says, Eskon et daka, I will dwell among those who are lowly. Hashem desires to live among the poor and the humble people. And He resides specifically with them. But, with that said, Hashem doesn't want to be among people who are sad. The Gemara in Masechet Shabbat says that God's presence resides only with someone who is happy. Why is that? Because a human king wants to be among happy people because they make him happy. But why is it important for God to live or be among happy people? So the Kitab Sofer writes that if a person feels sad, it means that he doesn't believe that everything is for the good. And if he doesn't believe that, he doesn't deserve that Hashem should stay with him. Yosef HaTzadik was always happy. And the proof, the Torah tells us in this week's parasha, Vayhi Hashem et Yosef. Hashem was with Yosef. And we know that the Shekhinah, the God's presence, wouldn't be with him if he wasn't happy. But think about this for a moment. How could Yosef be happy? Just a short while before this, he lived peacefully in Eretz Israel. He learned Torah every day with his father Yaakov. Now he's a slave among Egyptians. Yet the Torah tells us, Vayhi Hashem et Yosef. Hashem was with Yosef, which means that he was happy. How did he manage to maintain his happiness at that time? So Ketab Sofer answers that the answer is written in the same pasuk. Vayhi Hashem et Yosef, God was with Yosef. Vayhi Ish Matzliach. Which means he was successful. He was happy. Yosef considered himself successful and that is why he was happy. He's thrown in jail and he considers this to be success. Yosef is the only person in the entire Tanakh who is referred to as Ish Matzliach, a successful person. The Midrash translates each Ish Matzliach as Gever Kafuz, a dancing person. Yosef was always dancing, filled with joy. And according to Kitab Sofer, he attained this positive attitude under all circumstances and that's why he considered himself to be a living story of success. 
It's all a matter of perspective. Yosef could have been miserable with his lot, but instead he chose to focus on what he does have and the successes that he was lucky to attain. And with that attitude, he was always happy. It was once a man lived in Jerusalem, and he was a very, very happy individual. Once someone told him, he noticed how the way he was walking, he was walking with a smile, jumping in the street, laughing. And he looked at him and goes, you know, you walk in the street, you, you make it seem that this street is yours, it's like you own the street. And the man replied, yeah, it's true. The entire street is mine. Come and I'll show you. So they went to the grocery store and he bought groceries. He went to the baker and he bought bread. He went to the bank, he took out money. He put out his finger, sta- the taxi came and stopped for him. And he was singing he, and, and he looked at his friend who made the comment. He says, don't you see? The entire street is mine. The grocer, the bank, the taxis, the baker, they're all working for me. Hashem had compassion on me. So Hashem appointed other people to put the groceries on the shelves, to bake the bread, to run the bank, to drive a taxi, but everything is for me. The concept is something that we can apply in our lives. On a practical level, this means to focus on what you have rather than what you lack. Tell yourself you're an ish matzliach. Tell yourself you're successful in the spiritual and the material realm, and you'll be happy. But if you focus on how much you still need and how unsuccessful you are, it will be difficult to stay upbeat. Very, very famous story of Reb Zusha and his brother, Rabbi Elimelech. Rabbi Zusha saw that his brother, Rabbi Elimelech, Rabbi Lezhinsk, was sad. And he asked him, why are you sad? So Rabbi Elimelech replied, how can I be happy here? There's a pot in our room. The story actually happens to be they were thrown in jail. He goes, there's a pot in our room, in our jail cell, that is meant to be used for the bathroom. And because of this pot that's next to us, we won't be able to say a word of tefillah. We won't be able to learn a word of Torah because the smell that comes out of this pot. So Rav Zusha's brother looks at Rav Elimelech and he says, what are you talking about? That's a reason to be happy. Because now we're able to keep the mitzvah of refraining from learning and praying in the presence of a bad smell. So you got to be happy. So Rav Elimelech listened to this and he realized that his brother was right. So they began to dance and dance around the toilet, around this pot. And the guard came, saw what was happening, dancing. He goes, hey, what's going on over here? Why are you guys dancing? He said, well, yeah, because, you know, we, because we can't pray and we can't learn Torah because of this pot. And we're, we're thrilled and we're fil- fulfilling God's commandment. So the guard says, really? That's what you're happy about? I'm going to show you, you Jews. And he takes and removes the bucket. So you see what, what can be. Similarly, instead of complaining about the Avodat Hashem that we fail to perform, we need to focus on the Avodat Hashem that we do accomplish. Who is rich, he who is happy with his lot, not as only his material lot, says the Sfat Emet, but being happy with your Ruchniyut too. We should rejoice at our level of religiosity. Consider it special. And although we strive always to reach higher levels, we should rejoice and feel successful with whatever portion of Avodat Hashem we attain. And this is what Yosef realized as a slave in Egypt. His Avodat Hashem mission changed. It wasn't the same when he lived with his father in Eretz Yisrael. Within the confines of the situation, he served God with all his might. He focused on that, on those successes, 
and he was happy with his lot. And that's why it was called Ish Matzliach, and that's what merited Hashem to be with him. Another approach to achieve happiness is to recognize that everything is for the good. And Yosef used this method. He believed that since it was destined for him to be a slave in Mitzrayim, this is the best situation that I have. Something exceptional is going to come out of this. And when he had this in mind, you'll learn to be happy at all times. With regards to Eliezer, the servant of Abraham, the Midrash writes that Eliezer served Abraham with loyalty, and as a result, he merited his, um, his ending from one of curse to blessing. Yosef, the Midrash writes, states that he served Potiphar loyally, and because he served Potiphar loyally, he merited to be released from jail. So rabbis ask, I understand Eliezer served Abraham with loyalty. Makes sense. But the second Midrash, why should Yosef be freed from prison just because he served Potiphar loyally? What's so special about serving Potiphar that Yosef was rewarded for serving him loyally? How does this make sense? So again, the Sfat Emet says, when, it's, when the Midrash writes, Yosef it means that he served his he served his master be'emunah. He served his master with belief in Hashem. He believed that it was Hashem's will that he had to be a slave. And that was for his good. And the merit of that emunah, he was freed from jail. So to protect himself from sinning, he left his clothes in Potiphar's wife's hands. And he ran outdoors. As you know, Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Yosef many, many times over and finally, when she finally grabbed his clothes, he got rid of it and he ran outside. How did Yosef have the courage to embarrass himself like that? To run outside without any clothes to escape sin? Why? Because it's what happened earlier in his life. His brothers humiliated him when they removed the ketonet pasim, the cloak, and they sold him. And even then, without his garment being sold as a slave, Yosef trusted that it must be for the good. And that experience gave him the stamina and endurance he needed to get through this embarrassment and save himself from sin. The Sfat Emet writes, It seems that Yosef was embarrassed by his brothers when they took his coat. He didn't question Hashem, but rather he believed it was all for the good. And that's why Yosef ran out outdoors. He had siyata dishmaya. He was able to uh, to embarrass himself to do Hashem's will. And that's why the Sfat Emet says that we need to learn a big lesson from here. We need to learn from these parashiyot to accept Hashem's decrees with love and joy because everything is in His hands. Everything we go through, the hard times are ultimately for our good. And one day we're going to look back, we're going to smile, we're going to understand everything that happened. But Pasuk continues in this episode of Potiphar's wife, Yosef's master took Yosef, he got caught eventually, and he threw him in prison. The place where the king's captives are confined. And then the Pasuk writes, And he was there in prison. Prison. Those words seem superfluous. Why do you need to tell me that he was in prison? You already told me he threw him into jail. So why repeat the words? The rabbis explain, Yosef was in prison means Yosef was there with all his heart and soul. He accepted Hashem's decree with joy. He believed that it was for his benefit. Yosef could have done something to get himself out of jail, but he didn't do anything. 
He trusted in Hashem that everything was for the good. So Vahi Sham Bevet Asor means that Yosef accepted his fate and he was even happy with it. If this is Hashem's will, then it's good for me too. Yosef was extremely wise. He was also extremely wealthy uh, because Potiphar gave him everything that he, that he owned. And if he wanted to, he could have found a way to get out of prison. He had a lot of clubs. He had a lot of power. But he believed that his imprisonment was the will of Hashem and so he remained there and didn't try to leave. The Gemara Masechet Yoma, Yoma describes how difficult his test was with the wife of Potiphar. Every day, the Gemara says, Eshet Potiphar spoke with Yosef and tried to convince him to lay with her. The clothes she wore in the morning, she didn't wear at night. Different clothing. The Midrash states that the wife of Potiphar said, if you refuse to sin with me, I'm going to give you less and less money. I'm going to take away your sustenance. And Yosef replied, Noten lechem that Hashem feeds the hungry. I'm not, I don't care if you're going to remove my money. I don't care if you're going to take away my property, my sustenance. Hashem is who feeds the hungry. So she threatened to imprison him or to blind him, to send him to a distant land. But Yosef did not weaken. The Midrash writes that she put a blade underneath his neck just so that Yosef would look at her because Yosef didn't want to look at her. But he couldn't look down because then he'd be sliced by the blade. And he still found a way not to look at her. And these were extremely difficult tests and the tests were every single day, but he passed them all. Perhaps the most challenging part of the test was that Eshet Potiphar tried to convince Yosef that sinning was actually a mitzvah. Why? She sincerely thought that it was a mitzvah because she saw in the stars that she would bear children with Yosef. This is what she saw. Rashi writes, just like Tamar, who is also in this week's parasha, Tamar and Yehuda, the story. Just like Tamar intended to be with Yehuda, Hashem Shamayim, because she saw that in the future Mashiach was going to come from this lineage, and David HaMelech Mashiach. So too, Eshet Potiphar also intended L'Shem Shamayim. She saw in the stars that she would bear children with Yosef. Only she didn't know if it was going to be with her or with her daughter. Whether he was going to be with her or with, his da- or with her daughter. The Sfat Emet says that Potiphar's wife stared, shared what she saw in the stars with Yosef. Come, Yosef, I want to tell you what I saw in the stars. This is a mitzvah. It's destined from heaven. You have to be with me. And that just made the test so much greater. Because the Yetzirah, the Yetzirah can't convince Tzadikim to perform Averot. Can't happen. So he tries to convince the people, the victims, that it's a mitzvah. The test becomes very difficult to pass as a result. Nevertheless, Yosef's Vaimayen, he refused. Vaimayen, where do we see else the word Vaimayen? With regards to the mitzvah of Yibum. Yibum is when, God forbid, someone, a husband dies childless then the Torah tells us that there's a mitzvah for the husband's younger brother to marry the widow. It's the mitzvah vibum. And if they choose not to proceed with the mitzvah vibum, then they can perform chalitza. But there, the Torah uses the expression me'en yevami, me'en, also refuse. That if someone has the obligation for yibum, he may refuse to do the mitzvah and instead perform the mitzvah of chalitza, like I said. So Midrash says that Yosef told the wife of Potiphar, if a person is permitted to refuse to do Yibum, 
which is actually a mitzvah, certainly one needs to refrain from an avera. Yosef was telling her, even if you are correct, and it is a mitzvah, I may refrain, just as one's permitted to refrain from the mitzvah of Yibum. When one refuses to do Yibum, another path opens up, the path of Chalitza. And therefore Yosef told the wife of Potiphar that even if I turn down this mitzvah, Hashem is going to figure out another way. And indeed what happened? Yosef married Eshet Potiphar's daughter. And from there, he had two children, Ephraim and Menashe, in a permitted way. So what do we see from here? That just as Eshet Potiphar saw in the stars that they would bear children together, Yosef saw in the stars as well. Yosef understood that this meant he would eventually sin with Eshet Potiphar. So this brought Yosef to think, what purpose is there in passing this test if I'm going to end up committing this horrible sin anyway? But then Yosef said to himself, what the future will be, will be. I'm not in control of that. Right now I can fight this. Right now I need to overcome this Yetzirah. And it was that attitude which saved Yosef because he ended up marrying Otnat, Bad Potifera, the daughter, and therefore and thereby bearing children in a permitted way. So a few lessons there about Yosef. At this point, I want to transition over to Hanukkah since, like I mentioned, for those listening live, tomorrow night is the first night of Hanukkah. For those listening on a recording, believe me that tomorrow night, when I'm saying this, is the first night of Hanukkah. So, first of all, it's not always that we have Parashat Vayeshev coincide with the holiday of Hanukkah. Usually it's Parashat Miketz. But let's talk a little bit about this holiday, a couple of ideas that I, that I saw also from Rav Bitterman that I want to share. The Chashmonaim, those that waged battle against the Greeks, they won the war with trust, with bitachon, and also won the war because of their emuna. The word Chanukah stands for Chanukah, that the Jews rested from the war on Kafei Kislev, on the 25th day of Kislev. No other holiday in the Jewish calendar is named for the date that it occurred. Purim isn't called uh, uh, Yad Adar, 14th day of Adar. Pesach isn't called uh, Tu tu Nisan, 15th day of Nisan. So why is Hanukkah different? Why is Hanukkah called or named for the date that it occurred? So our rabbis explain that the holidays are named after the miracle that occurred. And Hanukkah is the same. Kaf Hei, 25, is the same number of letters in the Pasuk Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. So therefore, Hanukkah means Hanu. The Jews rested and were victorious in the war because of the merit of 25, of the Kaf Hei. And the cafe, their emunah in Hashem, which we proclaim in the in the pasuk of Shema Yisrael. There are two ways to awaken someone up, who's someone who's sleeping, either with a loud sound, clap, bang on the wall, or by turning on the lights. On Rosh Hashanah, we are awakened by the loud call of the shofar. On Chanukah, we're awakened by the bright lights of emunah that shine from the Chanukah menorah. We awaken to the light of Hanukkah. Once at Tzudah Shlishit, 
on Shabbat, the Chafetz Chaim told his students, you know, the entire world is filled with heresy and denial of Hashem. And he said, I'm not just referring to the non-religious Jews or the non-Jews who don't believe in Hashem. I'm referring to the faithful religious Jews. Listen to them speak, he said, and you're going to hear kfirah. You're going to, you're going to hear denial of God. They discuss business, they discuss politics, as though everything is on our, our hands, not in Hashem's hands. So therefore the Chafetz Chaim concluded and said, in my opinion, everyone must strengthen his emunah for an hour every day. So the Chafetz Chaim asked his students whether or not they're ready to dedicate an hour of their day to think about emunah. <laughs> Nobody said a word. You know why? Because an hour is a very long time especially to think about one thing. So Chafetz Chaim realized this, and he said, I see that this is very hard for you, so I have another plan. When you pray, think about what you're saying. If you think about what you're saying when you pray, you'll have a daily lesson in Emunah. If you think about all the meaning of the words, you will have one hour each day when you're actually thinking of, uh, of Emunah. But once a story of a Talmud Chacham, who proudly told his friends that he saw Hashem in one of his dreams. He was so happy. He came to work the next day, went to school. Ah, I saw Hashem in my dream. So his friends told him, jokingly, you know what the, rab, what the Gemara says about a dream? They're just reflections of one thought you had during the day. And uh, maybe you were just thinking of Hashem during the day. You're a great Talmud Chacham. You're a scholar. You're, you're thinking about Hashem. So you dreamed that you thought, saw Hashem. But it's not necessarily a true dream. So the Tamil Chacham responded shockingly. He's like, why do you always, why do you think, why do you say that I'm thinking about Hashem? I hardly think of Hashem. I'm, I'm learning, I'm praying. I don't have time to think of Hashem. In fact, that's how I know the dream is true. Sad, sad statement. That's how people are. They do mitzvot. They learn Torah. They even pray but they don't think for one moment before whom they're doing these deeds to. Lighting the Hanukkah candles is supposed to solve this problem. The Hanukkah, the Hanukkah candles shine the emunah into our hearts so we can live with emunah all our days with everything that we do. And that's what we should focus on when we see those lights tomorrow night. One last thought. On this holiday. Chanukah can also be a time for repentance. For Teshuvah. In the prayer of Allah Nisim. That we recite during Birkat Amazon and our Amidah. It discusses the miracles of the war. And there it says. Masarta giborim beyad chalashim rabim beyad me'atim. You handed over the mighty into the hands of the weak. The many into the hands of the few. And the next words are. Utmeim beyad tehorim. You gave her those who, you gave over those who were impure into the hands of those who were pure. Rashaim biyat tzadikim. You gave over the wicked into the hands of the tzadikim. Vezedim biyat Toratecha. And you gave over the sinners into the hands of those who study Torah. The Bardichev Rav said that these words need an explanation. Why is it considered miraculous when the pure tzadikim and Torah scholars win a war? We understand when the weak and the few win a battle, but why is it miraculous for Torah scholars to win a war? So he answers the following. He said, because of this war, a great teshuva movement began. 
everyone witnessed how a handful of tzaddikim miraculously won against the Greeks, and this resulted in many non-observant Jews to do teshuvah. So Allah Nisim is discussing that wave of teshuvah. Temeim teorim. Impure people did teshuvah and they became pure. Rashaim biyat tzaddikim. The Rashaim became righteous. Zedim The sinners began to study Torah. These words aren't discussing miracles of the war, but rather discussing the wave of teshuvah that came from it. A woman once approached a certain Hasidic Rebbe as he was walking down the street with his gabai, his shamash. And they both had long beards. She didn't know who was who. And she says, which one of you is the Rebbe? So the gabai pointed to the Rebbe. And the Rebbe pointed to the gabai. So she said, don't make me into a fool. I want to speak with the Rebbe. So the real Rebbe looked at her and asked her what the problem is. And she told him, you know, my daughter, she strayed off the path. She ran away from home. So the Rebbe said, do you have a piece of clothing that belongs to her at your house? She goes, yeah, I have a piece of clothing. I have something that she wears. So the Rebbe said, take that garment, cut it up into wicks, and use it to light your Shabbat candles. As the wicks for the Shabbat candles. So I go, she did so, and there were immediate results. And that Friday night, the girl returned home while the family was in the middle of their Shabbat meal. And she said, I'm so sorry. I acted foolishly. I regret running away. I want to come back home. I want to start observing more mitzvot. The joy was immense. The mother and the daughter embraced. One of the Chachamim repeated this story and added that maybe this is implied from the actual bracha, Ladlik ner shel Shabbat. Lehadlik doesn't mean to light. It means to ignite. The segula, the Shabbat candles that ignites the Jewish neshama. On Chanukah, we also say, Lehadlik ner Chanukah, because the Chanukah candles also has the segula to ignite the neshama and the hearts of the Jewish people, to draw them to Teshuvah. When a person believes with Emunah Shalema that you stand to light the Chanukah candles, all the sparks of your soul, all of your fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers, neshamas, all the way up to Adam Arishon, are standing with you. And this happens to every single Jew who lights the Chanukah candles. Aziz Neshamot, hope that perhaps with your inspiration by the Chanukah candles, they will merit a rectification, a tikkun, and they can reach their origin and source. So by you lighting the Chanukah candles, by you looking at the Chanukah candles, you are helping the, neshama, the neshamot of the yesteryear Go higher and higher and higher. The word Chanukah comes from the word Chinuch, which means training, to train oneself, to train children to live properly. The holiday is called Chanukah because during these eight days we train ourselves to serve Hashem properly. Since Chanukah is a time for Teshuvah, that's why many people have the custom to read Teilim on Chanukah because Teilim helps a person come back to Teshuvah. And a person has to believe by saying Teilim, he can leave all of his foolish ways, all of his problems. He can overcome the thoughts of Yeush, of giving up hope. And the, Yetzar, and, and the thoughts of the Yetzirah brings upon, bring upon a person. And we'll end with one final story. A very famous story, but it's a good one. Of a Jew from Eretz Israel who traveled to Australia. 
approximately 50 years ago. And he didn't know the language. And he didn't know how he could find Jews in Australia. And he would have went to the Bet Midrash, but how do you how do you find where it is when you when you barely speak English? So he came up with a plan. On Arab Shabbat, he went to a fish store and he waited. He figured Jews would come there to buy fish for Shabbat. The plan was on target. All of a sudden, a Jew comes to the store to buy fish for Shabbat. And the Jew from Eretz Yisrael asked him whether or not he can be his guest. I'm looking for a place to eat on Shabbat. So the man says, yeah, of course, listen, it's not every day I have the opportunity to perform Hachnasat Orchim. So they spent a beautiful Shabbat together. They sang songs. They spoke Divrei Torah. It was very nice. On Motzei Shabbat, he said to this host, thank you so much for your hospitality. It was a beautiful Shabbat. You have a wonderful house. I see Hashem has blessed you with lots of wealth. But there's something I want to ask you about. Can I, you mind if I ask? Go right ahead. He says, I notice in your showcase in your dining room that you have a broken olive oil bottle displayed there. Why do you have it? Why do you have a broken olive oil bottle? So the man said, you know, that, that oil bottle is very precious to me. I am where I am today because of that bottle. Let me tell you my story. He says, my father died when I was very young. I was the oldest child, so it became my obligation and responsibility to support my mother, who was widowed, and my younger siblings. Kind people had Rahmanud mercy on me. They always helped me to get into the field of business. Baruch Hashem, I had immediate success. There was always plenty of money in the home. However, together with my financial growth, the more wealthy I became, the more powerful I got in my business and in my surroundings, the more my spirituality began to decline. The first thing to go was my kippah, and soon afterwards it was my tzitzit, and then all the mitzvot left. And I wasn't really practicing much Judaism. One afternoon, I was walking and I saw a Jewish child sitting on the curb near my house, crying. And I'm an orphan, and therefore it's always painful for me to see a child cry. So I asked the boy whether he wants to talk about what happened. So the child said, in tears, Hanukkah is approaching, and my father sent me to buy olive oil. And he warned me to be careful because we don't have any money, and he'll be upset if the bottle breaks. I was cautious, I was so careful, but then... There was a cat that came up to me and I got scared. I startled, I fell and the bottle broke. And this boy showed the, the man the broken bottle lying in the gutter. He says, how can I go to my father without the Hanukkah oil? So I gave the child some money and I said, go back to the store and buy two bottles of olive oil. Bring one bottle to your father and one bottle to me. Because I didn't like the Hanukkah candles for so many years. But this year, I'm going to light. And the host explained, when the child said those words, how can I go to my father without lighting the Hanukkah oil? Without, sorry, without the Hanukkah oil. Something switched inside of me. I reminded myself how my own father would lovingly and joyously light the Hanukkah candles each year. I thought to myself, 
the day will eventually come when I'm going to leave this world and I'm going to meet with my father in Shamaim. How can I go to my father without Hanukkah candles? How can I meet him after 120 years without Hanukkah candles? How can I go to him without this mitzvah? So I took the broken bottle, the shards of the broken bottle from the gutter because something told me that this was a turning point in my life. And that year, I lit the Hanukkah candles. And soon after that, I was keeping Shabbat. And then came Tefillin. And now, Baruch Hashem, I have a beautiful family. All of us following the ways of Torah. And this all began because of that broken olive oil bottle. And now you understand why I saved it all these years. This is yet another message for Hanukkah. The message of Teshuvah. David HaMelech says, in Tehilim, Tashev Enosh Ad Daka. A man shall return to Ad Daka. Until Daka. Daka is Dalid Kaf Aleph, which is 25. A man has the ability to do Teshuvah not just on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, but it even extends all the way to number 25 in reference to the 25th day of Kislev. It is a big opportunity for us to act and reignite the feelings of Teshuvah that we had during the high holidays. Bezrat Hashem, when we light those candles, we'll be reminded of that and we'll aim and take upon ourselves to be bigger, better, and brighter and do more things for the service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Thank you everyone for listening tonight. Wishing you a wonderful evening ahead. The Finding Holiness podcast has been brought to you by Eli's Fine Foods serving the Toronto community with catering and takeout for over 25 years. Check out their website at elisfinefoods.com for more information.